Welcome to Suspending the Rules, Bloomberg Government's weekly look at what's happening in Congress. Did you miss this feeling? Unless Congress and the president intervene this week, portions of the federal government will again shut down at midnight Friday. This is Suspending the Rules from Bloomberg Government. I'm Adam Taylor. And I'm Danielle Parnas. Later in the show, we'll preview several health bills on the agenda this week, including the latest Medicare for All plan. We do have to start this week, however, with those spending talks. Bloomberg Government's budget and appropriations reporter, Jack Fitzpatrick, is back with us once again alongside BGov legislative analyst team lead Adam Schenk to break down the state of play. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi. It's Monday morning as we record this, February 11th, and while things were trending optimistic at the end of last week, negotiations broke down this weekend largely over the number of allowed immigration detention beds. Jack, what's going on? Well, you're right to note that we're recording this Monday morning because things could change at pretty much any moment. The latest issue that really seemed to come up and stop progress Sunday morning was that Democrats had for a while been saying they want a cap on the interior enforcement detainment beds for ICE. They usually fund a certain number of beds uh, for ICE to detain people. They now say they want to create within that a limit on how many people they can arrest that they say is supposed to limit them to arresting criminals, violent criminals, rather than people who just happen to be here and are undocumented. And to be clear, internal enforcement refers to people who are already in the country and have been for some time, not apprehension at the border. Not at the border. So they would essentially bring break it up into two pieces and they'd have a certain number of beds, most beds for detaining people at the border. And then they they want a limit of 16,500 for internal enforcement. And they say that would essentially force the administration just to arrest people who are committing crimes or, or absolutely need to be detained. That is not something that the White House or Senate Republicans want. Richard Shelby has said he won't accept any cap. So that's the, the stalemate now. It's a little surprising that we've moved on to something completely different than the border wall versus fence issue that had been so tough for a few months. But that's really what what stalled things uh, just a few days out from the deadline. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is that in previous appropriation cycles, Congress has haggled over the sort of larger number that Jack referred to. And usually while there's some, you know, kind of a little bit of animosity over that, that one or that number, it, it usually is settled pretty quickly and quietly. So for this to sort of blow up like this is, I, I think, a bit unexpected. Yeah, it's, it's a new issue. Rather than uh, debating about 40,000 beds versus 35,000 beds. They're now debating the number of beds and whether there will be a cap that stops ICE officials from detaining uh, pretty much anyone they want and have the funds to detain within the country. So it's it's kind of the, the invention of a, a new issue, or at least new-ish. It's come up in the last few weeks, at least, but a new issue beyond just detention beds for ICE. And most other issues or even agencies that are covered by the CR right now are mostly resolved, right? There are a series of issues that we don't know if they're completely resolved for DHS. The detention bed issue was significant. Strangely enough, David Price, who's one of the conferees, was one of the only people saying that there could be things other than the border wall that would trip things up. He mentioned ICE detainment, broadly customs and border protection funds, funds for border patrol 
control in addition to physical barriers at the at the border. So I don't know how exactly how narrow the scope is right now. Again, people really seem to think that this was just over a wall versus a fence and that kind of thing, and then other issues popped up. The other bills that they would like to pass in a seven-bill package are either entirely done or 99% done. But there could be other issues that come up with DHS. Yeah, and th- those those other bills cover roughly about 25% of the overall government's funding, though it does cover a majority of the agencies that have been shut down or that were subject to the, the previous shutdown. And that includes the Agriculture Department, agencies covered by the Financial Services Bill, so like IRS and financial regulators, the Transportation Department, Housing and Urban Development. So those agencies, their their spending bills have been, like as Jack said, largely, uh, largely resolved. And it's really just the border stuff that's holding up the agreement. If they get talks back on track, President Trump is a potential stumbling block. It was his 11th hour change of heart that led to the 35-day shutdown that began in December. And negotiators are reportedly considering border wall funding well short of the $5.7 billion he's demanded. Where does the White House stand? So far, everything we've heard has indicated that the White House has been hands-off in these negotiations really ever since the shutdown ended. The appropriate who are negotiating this say they are relatively independent. The White House is keeping tabs on things. Congressional leadership is an issue. If, you know, Nancy Pelosi could sort of interfere or draw red lines just as much as Trump could. But late last week, we were hearing they were talking about something far short of $5.7 billion, maybe between $1.3 and $2 billion, somewhere in that range. And there was no interference. There was no uh, major statement from the White House. So at least until this separate issue on ICE detainment came up, uh, the border wall and, uh, versus fencing and the total amount that they're going to spend really didn't uh, didn't trip things up as much as it had leading up to the shutdown. So what are the potential scenarios we could see on border security if and when a deal is announced? We know President Trump mused a lot about declaring a national emergency so that he could shift funding around. We talked about it talked about it with you, Jack, on on an earlier episode. Yeah, the question I think is going to be how specific is the language in a deal? Do they place really hard restrictions on what the administration can do? And then how does that lead the administration to take action on their own? So they're debating a number for what they would spend on a border wall or a a fence. They're going to include some exclusions, or or at least they're talking about including exclusions, saying you can't build it here, here, a handful of places. They apparently have also brought up issues uh, relating to using previous year's money. And then whatever is in that bill will likely have some effect on can the administration reprogram money from other accounts. I guess it doesn't affect whether they can use a national emergency, but they, that's definitely part of the conversation. Will they declare a national emergency to uh, use defense funds? I, I think the order this is going to go in will be, we'll see exactly what the bill says, assuming there will be a bill and not just a CR through the end of the year. And then the administration will figure out exactly what its legal options are and it potentially could provoke a lawsuit over the National Emergencies Act and that kind of thing. And what are the talks around a potential CR 
you know, we've heard before Republicans saying that there's really no appetite for another shutdown. So is there the potential that they would just sort of kick this till September 30th and be done with it? I wouldn't entirely rule it out, although even at the end of last week, lawmakers were saying we're not talking about a shutdown and we're not talking about a CR. They were very determined to get a deal. That's when they were significantly more optimistic. So a CR is an option. Another shutdown is something we can't entirely rule out. I don't know if there's any appetite for another short-term CR just to keep this going. That's, that's at this point, really up in the air whether they go to another CR. Jack Fitzpatrick reports on budget and appropriations for Bloomberg government, where Adam Shank leads the legislative analyst team. Find all their work at bgov.com. We'll be back in just a moment to look at this week's upcoming health care bills. Healthcare was one of the key issues for Democrats during the 2018 election, and this week they'll get the ball rolling on legislation to implement some of their priorities for the sector, including improvements to the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. Danielle Parnas covers healthcare for the legislative analyst team, and Alex Ruoff is BGov's senior healthcare reporter. Hi. Hi. So the Energy and Commerce Committee, our Energy and Commerce Health Subcommittee, is holding a hearing on several bills taking aim at the administration's approach to the Affordable Care Act. Alex, what's the impetus for this hearing? Well, really, the 2018 election is probably your best answer for this. Democrats, you know, took the House really feeling a mandate to take on the Affordable Care Act, you know, and defend it to sort of be the response to what Republicans did in the past few years, you know, under uh, the Trump administration. And, you know, they're they're feeling this real urgency to, I guess, show what they can do here, show what they would do if Democrats held all the levers of government, how they would implement the kind of legislation and take on the Trump administration. I think this is kind of putting their money where their mouth is for the past few years. Danielle, tell us more about the actual bills that are up to be considered. They're looking at three bills that would target a few specific actions that the administration has taken in the past year or so. One deals with funding for enrollment and outreach to help consumers sign up for health care. And Democrats have complained that the Trump administration cut that funding, so they want to restore it. The other bills target guidance and rules that the Trump administration issued that they say would roll back the Affordable Care Act protections for things like pre-existing conditions and other benefits and market rules. You know, one had dealt with the waivers that states can pursue and sort of easing the standards that they have to meet when designing waivers. And another one is about the short-term insurance plans that don't have to meet all of the same requirements. So that's uh, what they're looking at specifically in this hearing. And these bills have uh, a ways to go before they could even be considered on the floor. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have really no sense of, I mean, one of the bigger questions questions here is what are Democrats' larger strategy here? These are bills that don't have a chance to make it through the Senate, let alone President Trump will not sign them. They're the kind of things, you know, this is signaling. But there's this bigger question here about what Democrats' strategy is. Is it to pick at these policies? Is it to kind of flag them more? Or are they going to take a more aggressive stance here? It's kind of unclear. This is just kind of the opening salvo for this. But it's pretty clear they're, they're beating on the same message they hit in the election, touching the same policies, the same ideas. 
Several other committees got in on the action with hearings on healthcare last week and some of the administration's other policies. What's the latest from that, Alex? Well, it's very clear that pretty much every head of a Democratic House committee is going to be drumming on this issue. I mean, we heard from appropriations, education and labor, ways and means, energy and commerce. Uh, appropriations are going to be a big part of this. Pretty much any Democrat in a leadership position is going to want to show they're pushing back against the Trump administration and health care is a big part of this. So I think it's kind of interesting the way that they are thinking about all the levers Congress has. Uh, Rosa DeLauro, we spoke with her last week, and she was talking about, you know, these next spending bills we pass to the House, they're going to have mandates. We're going to bring, you know, we're going to be talking to the heads of these departments and saying, listen, we control the purse strings here. We're going to use our levers to affect your actions. And it's an interesting task because as we talked about this other legislation that might not make it through the Senate, a spending bill, as much as those don't get passed in Congress, Labor H is one that did actually did get funded. But when they talk about the 2020 fiscal year, they're going to have a lot of strength here. Democrats are going to come from a place where they can influence policy because they can, when they give the department money, they can decide what's used for. It's going to be a really interesting way that they approach this. And it's going to be the opposite, obviously, of what we saw from, you know, Republican control of the House, where they were taking aim at the Affordable Care Act in, in a different way and trying to cut funding or prevent implementation across various agencies. Obviously, those never made it into law. But again, and it goes back to, you know, each party using this as a tool for their messaging. Oh, yeah. Good example. And it's also one of the more effective messages for affecting policy. I think one of the underappreciated things is about six years ago, Marco Rubio cut the corridors funding. It's this really wonky bit of the ACA, but arguably cut the legs out from a part of the law, really kind of turned some of the best supporters of the law like it kind of hurt insurers who are the people who trumpet this law. So yeah, appropriations is a thing to keep your eye on when it affects policy. Moving on from the ACA, uh, Medicare for All has been a big topic in Democratic circles even since before the election, though Democrats have different ideas for what the term actually means from allowing people to buy into the program to a full replacement of the private insurance system we have today. Representative Pramila Jayapal is planning to release her Medicare for All bill this week. Danielle, do we know which path it's going to take? Her approach has generally been on the single-payer front, so essentially replacing most forms of private insurance that we have today for this government-run health plan. That's different than, as you mentioned, some of the other bills we've seen from Democrats in the last year or so, whether it's sort of creating a new public option that would be a part of Medicare or allowing more people to buy into Medicare based on you know lowering the age, or even there was one proposal to expand Medicaid as another way of getting at this issue. But so so this is the latest bill from this Congress that is sort of that sweeping single-payer option. And Alex, with the various competing proposals, do the Democrats have a strategy or an endgame in mind on this? No. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, no, let me elaborate. I think that there's a lot of different stakeholders putting pressure on various parts of the Democratic Party. And that overarching issue is why Republicans love to touch on it. It's why we talk about it a lot, because there's this, you know, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, the theoretically far left of the House Democrats, are they're playing nice at this moment. They really want Medicare for all to play a key role in this discussion we're having around the ACA, around health care in the House. And right now, 
all, like Mark Pocan, who was the head of the, the CPC last year, still a chair, was talking about we're using carrots now. At this point, we're incentivizing people to join with us to talk about this. And we kind of want this to be a family discussion. But, you know, he also said we're ready to kind of use a stick here. We're also ready, like, if we feel we're not being taken seriously, if we feel there's a lot of resistance from leadership, you know, they might start drumming harder. You might see the same tact maybe the Freedom Caucus took on, maybe less extreme than that. But this sense of like, we want our agenda to be a part of the Democratic agenda, and we're willing to push hard on that. Right now, it's very easy for Democrats to be united on most of the healthcare front because one, they're not in charge. They don't have to actually, this legislation doesn't have to get done. And two, they're in this battle with the administration, with Republicans. It's pretty nice at this moment, but there's a lot of stakeholders that arguably help Democrats take the House that want to see this come around. And I think in the next few months, we're really going to see how House leadership especially deals with these kind of pressures, whether Pelosi took an early option to say, look, we're going to we're gonna let it come out in a few committees. Lisa's rules and budget, they don't really have jurisdiction technically. I mean, they have kind of interesting space here, but you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how Democrats play on this lever and how Republicans in the minority complicate it. You know, they're willing to drum at this too, to try to paint it their own way. And this could be complicated, but I think House leadership has shown itself to be pretty capable of handling political pressures. So it'll be interesting to see how they relieve a lot of it. And, you know, we might be able to get through this year without too much screaming and shouting. And I think there's some realistic expectations among the Democrats who are pushing these proposals. I mean, we had John Yarmouth at a BGov event. He's the chair of the House Budget Committee that you just mentioned where this bill would go through. And he said Medicare for all is not going to pass this year, but they still want to examine things and, and get the conversation going. Thank you both. That's it for this week. For Alex Ruoff, Daniel Parnas, Adam Shank, and Jack Fitzpatrick, I'm Adam Taylor. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Suspending the Rules. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Find more on the subjects we discussed today and a whole lot more from Bloomberg government at about.begov.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at BGov. The legislative analyst team is Sarah Babbage, Noreen Chowdhury, Danielle Parnas, Michael Smallberg, and me, Adam Taylor. Our editor is Adam Shank. Nico Anzalata is our sound engineer. Our theme music is Home Organ by Zach Nasita. More information on that can be found at premiumbeat.com. 